Guys, mental health is something that Dan and I are extremely passionate about, which is why it excites us to say that we are partnering with BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode and our podcast. BetterHelp is the world's leading therapy service, and it's 100% online. With BetterHelp, you can tap into a network of over 30,000 licensed and experienced therapists who can help you with a wide range of issues. To get started, you just answer a few questions about your needs and preferences in therapy. That way, BetterHelp can match you with the right therapist from their network. Then you can talk to your therapist however you feel comfortable, whether it's via text, chat, phone, or video call. You can message your therapist at any time and schedule live sessions when it's convenient for you. If your therapist isn't the right fit for any reason, you can switch to a new therapist at no additional charge. With BetterHelp, you get the same professional and quality you expect from in-office therapy, but with a therapist who is custom-picked for you, more scheduling flexibility, and at a more affordable price. Get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash BacksideGroundBalls. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash BacksideGroundBalls. By Riverside. Welcome back to episode 109 of the Backside Ground Balls podcast. We're super excited to be back here on the pod. My name is Trevor Powers, and I am joined by my co-host, Dan Galati. Dan, we got a super special episode today. Our second two-time guest, the one who called you out on air and said that you had to be here the next time we did it. We have Brian Torresani coming back for part two with the Backside Ground Balls podcast. And, and Tor, I'm going to ask you this. I'm going to introduce you as the assistant coach and recruiting coordinator at the University of Delaware. And I got to ask, how does that sound? <laughs> Sounds good. I'm going to get ahead of DG too. Like I was supposed to do this last night at seven and totally whiffed and did not show up. Um, so I big leagued the Backside Ground Ball podcast. Um, we'll get that out of the way early. Um, but no, I mean, it sounds good. I, you know, listen, I, I never been a, uh, a title guy necessarily. So I don't even really like to be called coach. Like it's just, uh, uh, it's one of those things that I'm happy about, but I'm happy you got ahead of it because I was definitely going right there. That's, that's how we know you're a veteran and you've, you've been here before because I was, I was coming for your, uh, for your neck right away with that. Um, I was going to ask, had you done anything else other than your first act as being big legging us? Um, <laughs> just off the bat here, obviously going from D3 to, you know, a, a different job. And, and we were talking a little bit off air how you, you, you've been a head coach for a long time. And now you're stepping back into the role of assistant and recruiting coordinator. What are kind of the things that you've kind of said to, you know, thought to yourself or put down on paper um, that said, like, you know, this is what's going to change. And this is kind of how I have to attack this job versus what you were doing at Arcadia. Yeah, for sure. I think, um, you know, taking the step forward from division three to division one changes a lot. The recruiting is much different. Obviously the ability to offer scholarships now makes, uh, makes the recruiting side of things. Um, 
honestly, for me in the first couple of days, a little more enjoyable that we can go see guys we like and, and be able to entice them with some scholarship money and, and all those kind of things. But yeah, I knew that, um, you know, I knew that going from a head coach to an assistant would definitely be a transition. I've been a head coach for 11 years and, uh, it's honestly a little bit of a welcome change. The buck doesn't stop at my feet anymore for uh, right now, which is, uh, which is definitely not a bad thing. Um, you know, and I certainly, I think have found uh, a boss and a head coach in Greg Mamula that um, I've already learned a lot from in, in a couple of days on the job and somebody I have full faith in, um, you know, that's going to lead the Delaware baseball program to new heights. So I'm excited about the, about the transition. What uh, what are some of the things that kind of attracted you to that job? Because like you said, being a head coach for 11 years and obviously everyone sees the step up and that's kind of the obvious thing. Right. But, you know, I, I know you and, and we've even talked a little bit like it had to be a right the right fit for you and for your family. What made kind of Delaware that fit for you to leave something that you had going so well? Yeah, yeah, that it was, uh, you know, obviously a couple of factors. I mean, I mentioned Mams a second ago, like. You know, if I was going to leave Arcadia for a situation like this, it had to be with a head coach that I that I had faith in that um, that we thought along the same lines, shared some of the same values, you know, those sort of things. And and, uh, you know, we definitely we definitely do. It also fit my family ge- geographically, which helped. Like I, we didn't have to move the family. So, um, you know, in this line of work, that's, you know, a, a big deal. When I when I left Arcadia, I got it. It was funny. I got an email from. Nora Wheeler, who's Ryan Wheeler's wife and, and, uh, wheels son, Kevin plays in our program. She sent me a really nice email and obviously wheels, as you guys know, and probably not all the listeners just left St. Joe's as the associate head coach and is now has a spot on the staff at Penn state university as the director of player development. She told me they were getting ready for their 16th move as a family through his, because of his coaching career. Yeah. So, um, I, we haven't moved one time and I've been doing this for 17 years. I'm not saying I'm opposed to that down the road, but like, yeah, six, she's like, if your wife needs help, like, you know, if you are, if you're going to move or if you decide to move down the road and she needs some, some suggestions, she's like, this will be our 16th move. So yeah, pretty wild. Keep um, that card in anyway, your back the rest of the, Yeah, exactly. For when you do move, tell the wife like, Hey, the, it could be 16. This is only the first time, honey. It could yeah. be 16. Like the wheelers. That's a, that's a Definitely. lot. Um, so I, I, I kind of want to get into it a little bit because um, uh, as most of our listeners know, and as you know, Trevor and I are, are Delaware natives. So we've kind of seen at least a little bit up close and personal, the Delaware program for most of our lives. Um, and, you know, that's a, a, a campus and, and like a place that's really an exciting school. You know, it's a, it's a big school. It's got great academics, a beautiful campus, terrific athletic facilities, Um Kind of what's so as much as you can give away without giving away trade secrets, what's kind of the direction that you see the program moving in, um, you know, in your conversation with Coach Mams and, and kind of what you're with your ideas that you're bringing in? Yeah, I think, you know, we can ride a little bit of the wave of momentum that they created last year in a short span in his first year, you know, qualified for the CAA playoffs for the first time since 2018, you know, won a playoff game and had some big wins throughout the course of the year you know, our goal is to win a CAA championship. I don't think we make a lot of bones about that. I think that's, you know, that's where the focus of the program is right now is to, is to get ourselves into position to, to, to win a, a CAA championship and ultimately play in, in the, uh, in the NCAA regionals. And, you know, we it, the funny thing that people don't know a lot about the conference is it, it's the seventh best, con- it, was, it was the seventh best conference this past season, you know, rated by RPI in the country. Um, you know, and it was a two bid league last year. 
Um, and Campbell comes in this year, who was obviously a, a powerhouse and, and has been in the NCAA tournament the last however many years. Um, you know, so we're, we're looking at a league where it's two or three bids probably going forward. So we, we feel like that's the goal, which again, going back to the Arcadia days, like that was our goal, always our goal there. We want to, we want to play in the NCAA tournament every year. And, uh, you know, I think that that's where we're, we're trying to go. We have the facility, we feel like we have the facilities to get it done. We have, um, you know, state of the art weight room and, um, you know, baseball stadium and, and support from the administration and all the things that kind of line up for success at, at the division one level we have in Newark. So we're excited about the future there. Awesome. And I'm, I'm going to kind of build off of, I'm sure it's going to sound very similar to what you just said, but what was coach Mams's message to you of why, you know, what made you so comfortable with making this leap in, in terms of obviously walking away from a really good situation? What was his selling point to you? Yeah, I mean, him and I have known each other for parts of probably the last 16 or 17 years. When I was getting my start at Chestnut Hill, he was the head coach at Westchester. Um, and that's where we first met, just kind of out on the road recruiting. And, you know, he's been outside the area for a number of years since then. And, and when he got back in the area last year, um, you know, we kind of reconnected a little bit on the road. And then, and then Owen Margolis, who was one of our players at Arcadia, one of our pitchers, um, got recruited by them last year. And so we, you know, we were able to get on the phone some and talk a little bit more. And to be honest, at that point, I did express some interest in, in getting to the division one level and, and, you know, just wanted him to kind of know like, Hey, if something ever happened on your staff, like, and you're interested, like, I'd love to talk type of thing. And, and, uh, you know, I just kind of followed his career and, and like, he just is a guy that's a dynamic leader. And, and like I said, wants to do things the right way. And, and instills a lot of the same values and, and culture that I think we had at Arcadia, which, I mean, a lot, winning cultures share a lot of the same characteristics. And I think he's, I know he's that type of person. So um, I just kind of saw the, the, um, the energy around the program. And then Chris Colazzo, my, you know, my predecessor, who's now at Pitt, um, you know, him and I are friends as well. And we talked and he filled me in on the situation at Delaware, what it's like to work for Greg and, and, and Casey Klein, our pitching coach and how it is to work with him and, and all those things. And, and it just, he told me, I remember he texted me at one point when I was going through the process, he's like, don't be an idiot, take the job. Like that was like his, like, <laughs> that was his piece of advice from Zoe. So like, and he, and again, he's another guy that is a hard worker and somebody that I respect a lot and respect his opinion. So everything kind of lined up for, for this move. You know, everybody that every coach we've had on here has, has mentioned culture at one point or another when, when we talk about it and I've never really pressed them on it. So I'm going to press you when you, when you talk about winning culture and, and, you know, just cult, good culture in general, which is what, you know, any team ever is trying to generate. What does that look like? Yeah, I think, I mean, so it was funny. I sat in a new employer orientation yesterday and, and, Chrissy Rawak, our AD at Delaware, she pulled up a slide and it had like, it was a Venn diagram basically with three circles in it. And one of them said strategy, one of them said talent, and one of them said culture. And, you know, basically saying that in order to get to where you want to get to, you need all three of those things, right? So like we have to go out and recruit good players and really good players and have the, the requisite talent to, to get to where we want to get to. We also have to be good enough coaches to, to put, you know, strategies in place to, be successful on the field, whether that's our offense philosophy, pitching philosophy, base running stuff, whatever that might be, you know, on the field. But then like that last piece that I think some programs miss on, because you guys obviously know, like you've seen places that probably have one or two of those things at least and kind of miss on the culture side of things. And, and, and I think for me, like, 
the easiest way or maybe corniest way to describe culture is like getting everybody to pull on the same end of the rope. I think at the, at the, at the root of its core, I think that's what you're really trying to do is develop an environment where, you know, it's we over me and guys are playing for, you know, something bigger than themselves, I think is the, is really the, the name of the game. And so in order to do that, you got to create a space where guys are excited to come to the field and want to, and want to work at it and want to be there and not, this like I have to go to practice or I have to go to skill groups or I have to go to lift like mentality. Like if you can create that environment where guys are, enjoy being around each other, enjoy being around the coaches and know they're going to be held accountable, but still appreciate that. I think that's like a tip of the iceberg of what the culture needs to look like for you to be successful. And you got to match it up with the strategy and the talent <laughs> at the same time. Yeah. And I, I know Dan asked this question in a similar ilk, and I'm sure it's going to be a question that we come back to multiple times because there's so many different avenues that come into building a program. But out of the people that I've been around, I mean, I think I'm not just saying this because you're right in front of me. I think you're top notch in terms of culture building and what I had walked into scenario wise was top of the line and able to make my job personally working for you so much easier. How do you balance the ability to still continue to bring your ideas and things that have worked in a different, you know, element, but into a new position that technically it's not at the end of the day, the, when the scores on the scoreboard and the loss goes in the loss column or the win goes into the win column, it doesn't technically go under Brian Torresani's team. How does that change how you kind of go about building culture wise? And we're going to talk about player development. We're going to talk about all different avenues, but culture specifically. Yeah. You know, I think, I think my 11 years doing it, is going to be a benefit. And, and Mams and I've had this conversation where, yeah, he's, he's, I mean, he's, like I said, a, a million times already, he's obviously really good and he's a really good head coach. This will be his, I guess his fourth year as a head coach in, at, in, at college baseball. I mean, he was the head coach at Westchester for two years. He had one year at Delaware last year and, uh, and then spent the majority of the last, whatever it's been 10, 15 years as an assistant, you know, between Cincinnati and FAU. So like, I think he is, looking for looking to me to kind of provide some of that like outside perspective a little bit on on some of those things as somebody that has been a head coach and kind of has had to make some of those tough decisions and all that so I think honestly my first year especially going in not that I I am a vocal guy and 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 you know certainly will speak up when I need to but it's going to be a lot of observation probably a lot of suggestions to to Greg on hey we think we can do this better I think we can do that better what do you think about this culturally? Like, are we doing, are we doing the right things in whatever area it might be? It's hard for me to think about specifics right this second since we haven't been on the field yet, but, um, or with the guys, but um, I just think kind of as like that safety net set of eyes to kind of be there for, you know, to give some suggestions and things like that, I think will help. And I'm sure I'll have some ideas once I get to see how things work on maybe a way or two, we can do something a little bit different or better. Yeah. It's interesting. You bring that, that piece up of being like observationalist because to me, like, I don't care who you are, or what job, starting a new job, there's like a, there's always kind of a crappy part about it, especially when, you know, like you've been at Arcadia for, for a long time now and you've been doing the same thing. And like, there wasn't a move you could make that you weren't comfortable with at Arcadia. And now there's a lot of newness. How important yeah. do you think getting in there is like to even be able to bring that cult, like whatever culture and experience you have is like building a relationship with the guys, right? Because now here are all these, these guys and, you know, I'm sure, you know, you got a, you have a great article up on the, uh, on the website I, I read the other day and, and, you know, I'm sure Mams will give a nice speech to the team about how great you are, but to, you know, to the 18 to 22 year olds that are in front of you, you're just a guy except for one, yeah. you know, Margolis who <laughs> fortunately played for you before and, and he can help out. But how, how important do you think from like day one, is it going to be, especially in the fall 
like where it's going to be building that relationship to kind of create that trust between you and them. Yeah, no, absolutely. And again, like more like kind of corny coach speak, but like, I think the saying goes like, they don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And I think that's going to be kind of on the forefront of my mind as I get started here is, and this has changed for me since the beginning of my career is like, uh, you know, I was always in the early on, I was sort of more like a transactional coach. Like, all right, this is the transaction. Like you're going to play good baseball for me and I'm going to be able to like kind of win games and maybe move on, move my career along where over the last couple of years, especially it's kind of been, I've kind of transitioned into more of what I would call like a transformational coach where like the relationship piece is really the number one factor for that. I've learned is to have success in the program. And I think, I think winning on the field is a byproduct of the relationships that go on in the program. And so, you know, going forward, you know, that is going to be important for me to, to be down there, be at morning conditioning at every lift, you know, as much as I'm going to be out on the road, some during practice, but um, you know, to just be around the guys as much as possible and, and gain their trust, even before I start coaching them, you know, baseball wise, you know, certainly like they want to practice, I'm going to have to do some coaching, but like when I really get into things, like they need to, they need to be able to trust that I have their best interest at heart before I can start to try to make some inroads or, or they just tune you out, you know? So that'll definitely be something that um, will be a neat, that, that's something I'm looking forward to because like you said, I was in a comfortable spot at Arcadia. Like I had, those guys knew me, they know my shtick, like they know kind of how I was going to be and we had good relationships, but now I got to start from ground zero. So hopefully I don't make as many mistakes as I've done the first couple times around, but <laughs> Well, the mistakes have taught you so many lessons, and, and I guess that's kind of where my head goes is, is there anything that you think changes, right, being – I mean, Dan and I, I mean, being younger assistants, it's a little bit easier to have that open-door policy and, and kind of keep that, you know, not not friendliness compared to the hammer, you know, um, that the head coach has to be at some at times. But do you feel like there's going to be a change that you might have to reflect on? temperament wise of like, you know, you might have to be the guy that somebody leans on as just an ear to ride and, and have that open door policy because that's, that's the position you are and that's the relationship you're trying to build. Yeah, no, absolutely. And so it's funny when I got, when, when the news came out that I was, that I was going to Delaware and, and Margo, Margo and I talked on the phone and, uh, he was like almost at a loss for words. And I was like, you all right. I'm like, and he's like, well, yeah, he's like, I'm fine. He's like, I just can't picture you as like not the guy in charge. Like he's like, I, I'm not having trouble like seeing how that's going to go, um, which I get. I mean, that's all he knew from me. And so, yeah, temperament wise, definitely like, you know, programs always follow the, you know, the temperament of the leader. Mams is pretty even keeled and um, wants his staff to be even keeled. And, um, you know, that's something that is not always in my nature. And I'm looking forward to making it more in my nature because it was, I was a little bit better last. I was a better last year, and and there were some ups. There was a little more downs in last season at Arcadia than there was prior when Trev was there, um, and I felt like I handled some of those things well. But like I, I do think I'm gonna have to. I, I'm gonna have to take my foot off the gas a little bit in some areas, which I'm happy about. Like I think I need that in my career to become the best coach I can possibly be. So that transition is another thing that I'm looking forward to in this piece of the puzzle, and um, I have no problem being a an ear for the players or you know, somebody they can confide in and, and all that stuff. I think that's what good assistants do. How do you continue to keep that kind of growth mindset where you're talking about evolving when you've been in it for so long? You know, you've been coaching for 17 years or, or whatever it's been, and, and you continue to, to get better. A lot of people, I feel like it's easy to get, you know, hey, this is how I've been doing it. I'm going to keep doing it. 
kind of where do you get that piece of it from? Is it just from from experience that you know you need to change every year? Or how do you continue to kind of keep a growth mindset for yourself as far as like how you need to act as a coach? Yeah, I, I don't know if it's just how I'm wired or like it like it doesn't I can't even really say like I intentionally have a growth mindset. Like I don't know that I just feel like I'm always after how can we do this better? How can we get better? You know, I'm, I, I, I do believe like you're never staying the same. You're either getting worse or you're getting better. So it's like, I don't want to get worse. How can I continue to look for ways, you know, to improve? And, you know, that can be sometimes can be a detriment because there's so much information out there right now, you know, on the, on, you know, on the internet and Twitter and everything else that like you can get lost in it. So like you have to be smart about, you know, the resources you look at and the people that you trust that you can learn some things from. But like, you know, I don't know. I just, I, I think until the day that I'm done doing this, like I'll, I'll, I'll continue to think we're not good enough, you know? And I, and that's probably a bad mindset, but like, I'm the type of person that I hate to lose more than I love to win. You know, the losses bother me a lot more than the wins give me enjoyment. So every time we lose, I'm, I'm definitely looking back at like, all right, what do we got to change? What do we got to do better? Like even going into this year at Arcadia, you know, when this kind of popped up last minute, like I, I was fully prepared in my mind to be the head coach there. And like, one of the things that I knew we needed to do better was like, we had to get simpler. Like we were getting too complex on a lot of the things we were doing. And I felt like we were, some of that was getting in the way of the players, just natural abilities. Like we finally had talented enough players where not that they didn't need to be coached, but that we can do things simpler and still, and be a better ball club. So like, there's just always little ways you're looking to, to improve on things. So. I'm glad you bring that up. So let's dive into that a little bit because I, I haven't had, you know, in the in the I don't know, six years I've known you now, five years I've known you, I haven't had too many times to just completely pick your ear because for anybody who's wondering, you're always a popular guy at recruiting events. Everybody was trying <laughs> to talk to you. But uh, when you talk about that, like in this age of, of, you know, data and information in baseball and anyone who listens to Trevor and I knows that we're, we're, we believe in it and, and we're for it because it, it certainly helps the player development side of it. But I think what you just said there is one of the things that I think people don't ever bring up in the argument before or after, or, or they say the lazy way of like, you use your eyes or we don't need all this or, you know, yeah. whatever that argument may be. But what you just said right there is sometimes it can get too much and we need to simplify things in, you know, and let the player's talent, you know, take over sometimes. What are kind of for you, like some of the things that when you look at it, you know, if you could, now that you're not there, what are some examples of, Hey, we're doing too much on this side of it. And we need to just simplify here. How do you kind of sort through all of that? Yeah, it's a good question. I, you know, I, for me, I think it, it was a little more like on the gameplay side of things. Like at Arcadia, our playbook was pretty thick in terms of some of the things we would do offensively, like, you know, and, and, first and thirds, we would have, you know, six or seven different first and third plays, not like not defensively, but on offense. And, and, uh, you know, we were trying to run and hit, hit and run, squeeze, bump for hits, like do all these things that like take a lot of practice. And we didn't, we don't have a lot of practice time. Um, you know, so we were, you know, we were going to try to drill down to the play, like drill the playbook down a little bit more to like, okay, what do we actually use and what do we actually need to have in, in our arsenal, you know, to, to be able to be successful in that, and my whole thing going back was like, we wanted to make sure we had every tool in our tool belt possible to win, to win a game. But like I said, now that we had some players that I felt like could go out and play a little bit more straight up baseball and be, and be successful. Like we needed to get really good at like, can we hit more doubles and homers? Like, can we focus there a little bit more instead of on, 
vault lead vault leads at first base. Like everything you're doing, you're, you're always robbing Peter to pay Paul, right? When it comes to practice time. So if you're working on something, you're not working on something else. So like, where did we really need to focus our attention? What really wins and loses baseball games? And that's kind of the way that I tried to look at it, you know, the best I could. Like, and we, and we were simple in some areas. We're super simple with first and third defense, super simple with bunk coverages. Like I knew those things don't come up that often where you needed to practice 30 minutes a day on those things. So there were definitely some areas. You see my wife behind me, by the way? No, I can't. The windows. Oh, a little bit. <laughs> yes. We are, we, are, we are recording. Sorry for stealing Friday yeah. night. Um, no, uh, but the have... player development side is tricky. Like, I think you do need, like, I mean, you got to be simple too, but like, yeah, and I do like the data. So I, I am, you know, Trevor will tell you, like, we did a lot of defense positioning stuff and like we did some things with offense with using some of them, you know, using some metrics and things like that. I think every, all of those things are tools to help players get better. And then it's kind of how you implement those things. And, you know, there's a reason why there's kind of like those conduits in big league organizations, the guys that played like Caleb Cotham's a good example with the Phillies. Like he played, he was a pitcher, he pitched in the big leagues, but he understands the analytics inside and out. But the thing that I think he can do, or at least that it seems like he can do better than other people is he can translate that for the players and make it actionable and usable information rather than just speaking at this high level of like what all these numbers mean. So anyway, yeah, you don't you don't have to comment on this first part, but you must have had a, a pretty good uh, recruiting coordinator to bring in some of those guys who can hit a lot of doubles and home runs a couple of years ago. But, uh, <laughs> but, yep, uh, yeah, Kyle Lindsay was really good. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he was. Um, <laughs> that's an amazing follow up. Uh, <laughs> but you, you know, and, and I think you know some of those points are. are you know, baseball is so funny to me because, you know, you look at other sports like football where the playbook needs to be thick, right? Because you have to design those schemes. And sometimes for a coach, it's hard to just sit in the dugout and just let them play. But so much of baseball is that. And so much of baseball is being able to just kind of go through the process of, hey, I'm going to, like you said, I'm going to put these tools in your, your tool bag. But at the end of the day, it's on you to go out there and do it, right? Like you have to execute the pitch. You have to make the swing decision at the plate. Coach can't do anything for you. You know, you're not calling a run or a pass in a certain situation. Um, and, you know, I understand a little bit of that. Maybe in a first and third offense you are a little. But, you know, I think what you just said right there is so crucial that me and Trevor have said for a long time is, like, it's it's a, data and analytics is a language. And as a coach, you have to be able to translate it to players. And I think sometimes where people can run into trouble is, one, not trusting the data, but then, two, not being able to translate that data to a player. What are kind of some of the things that are, are there one or two keys you look at when you kind of say, okay, on the offensive side, like, I don't know if you're a guy who looks at hard hit rate, launch angle, exit velocity. Are there one or two things that you say, okay, this is easy for my guys to understand. This is something we're looking to do. And this is how we translate it. Yeah. I mean, I, so I think the, the best example I can give there that we kind of use this year a little bit better, I think was like literally on swing decision stuff. I think that is probably the most important, in my opinion, the most important part of hitters. Like, are we swinging at strikes and are we taking balls? Like, so, you know, we're looking at things like chase rate, um, hard hit, hard hit balls in the strike zone, you know, and, and we used an app this year called hitting approach that, you know, is a manual imp. I mean, at division three, we don't have access to track man and those things right now. So we were kind of doing it more manual. Um, but you know, we can, we could look at, at those things and then training wise, like that's what we're training in, in our batting practices as well is like, okay, we can chart swing decisions. We can chart hard hit balls. Like those are, those are some of the simple things that we can do 
you know, we stayed away from launch angle, like, and just not because I'm an anti launch angle. It just, I didn't feel like there was enough meat on the bone where like that was going to change guys. Like it was more like, are we swinging? Skip Wilson Fields a graveyard too. Well, yeah. I mean, <laughs> you know, we were looking for, we were more of a line drive hitting club that like, and that's going to be different at Delaware. I mean, that's what that's, we have big, strong guys and we play in a yard that's, it's not a band box, but if the wind does blow out there primarily. So like we want to get balls up in the air and, and lead the conference and homers. But we all, if you look last year, they set, they set the school record for walks. So they, uh, you know, they're training a lot of these things too, through their hitting, you know, I say our hitting philosophy on, on those swing decision things. So I think, and I think, and the other thing too, I think with player development is there are certain things that you can get better at faster than others. Right. And so when you're a college coach and you don't get them full year and you're, and you're training, you're not training to make prospects necessarily. You're training to win baseball games. Like swing decisions are something that you can impact through your training quickly. In my opinion, I've seen it with young guys, you know, on the defensive side, like throwing is another thing I think you can impact quickly with literally just throwing command and accuracy. I'm not talking pitching. Like I'm talking, you know, making plays, throwing to the right bases, but also making accurate throws. This is a crazy stat that just dawned on me about two weeks ago. I was listening to a podcast. I can't even remember who it was, but it was an, Oh, it was, um, Nate Trotsky. And he was talking, you know, he's talking on infield play. Um, you know, and I thought about our infield from last year at Arcadia and I knew we had made our third baseman, Emilio Palante made two errors. Our shortstop Alex Madera made seven errors and our second baseman, Justin Masella made two errors. We had zero throwing errors in the infield. Wow. Not a single throwing error. You know, and if you look at the average D3 infielder, like it will take Alex, for example, like an Alex, an average D3 shortstop is probably making somewhere between 15 and 20 errors a year. Well, if Alex had seven uh, uh, fielding errors and then seven throwing errors, like most D3 shortstops, there's your 14, 15 errors in a season. Like the reason why he didn't have that many is because every throw was with command. And we practice that every single day. You know, and so sometimes I think player development gets over, uh, over whatever complex where there's certain things that you can clean up quickly. Yeah. And I mean, you talk about the swing decision thing and that was something that we had implemented that, that year. And that was one thing that we didn't swing in the bats wise when we were there together at Arcadia, I wouldn't say we came out of the gates hot necessarily obviously it's always tough the bats are always a little bit cold when you're trying to get outside in february and whatnot but i will say when i look back because i took all those charts was like the swing decisions what was allowed us to still average eight plus runs a game every game it was like we were able to put so much pressure and put guys in positions to do things like you talked about where we had this thick playbook where it was like Okay, yeah, because these two guys didn't chase the slider out and didn't chase those two strike pitches, got themselves into an advantage count, ended up getting on base, and we were able to create havoc that way. And it's something that we just implemented through bullpens, right? It was just, yep. it was as simple as just we had those short half bats, which I don't know if you guys used them again after yep. after I left, and guys would sit there, and I would have like eight different papers in there, and we'd chart each other. Right. And it was yep. full, just like out of a division three, exactly as you'd imagine, no track man, no nothing. It was just charting it, yeah. putting it into an Excel sheet and keeping track of who had the best swing decisions. And shocker to anybody who knows Arcadia baseball, Alex Madera had the best swing decisions by our data. <laughs> like he's a, he's a pretty good player and it's something, but we saw guys that even came in and struggled at first and the game sped up when they stepped in against a, 
a Hunter Curley or a Hunter Sibley, but by the end, you were starting to see even the guys that might not make an impact were developing very quickly, like you said, because it came so quick. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and TP would put that out those rankings like every week, and it was like, like you kind of alluded to this already, but like the top five guys in swing decisions in bullpens when we're not even hitting a real ball or hitting a ball with a real bat, those are our top. Those are our top five hitters. Like it was pretty cut and dry and then the guy and whenever you rank guys like they buy into it more so like it was uh anyway that was kind of the direction we went with with some of that but um and I think that's how got that's how guys at least in our program got better got better faster yeah and and I guess my my next question would be what are some of the things that you're most excited to work with, with the more information or, um, you know, obviously being able to recruit a different level of athlete and things like that, what kind of excites you the most and not, that's not to discredit anybody that you'd work with in the past. They're all division one caliber players, but you know, it doesn't always fit the mold of what you see in the CAA on a day-to-day basis. What kind of excites you the most about what you're going to be able to work with at Delaware? Yeah, it's a good question. Honestly, so I think coming in, like we, we t- I talked to Dylan about this a little bit today, actually Dylan Tice. And, uh, um, you know, we had a couple like project guys at Arcadia, right? Like guys we recruited that had super athletic, fast, good arms, um, you know, showed a little bit of pop in the bat, but like had some swing and miss and like needed honestly like some overhaul swing change stuff. And TP, you went through this too with some of those guys, like, hopefully we're doing our, a, a good enough job in recruiting the Delaware that like, that's not going to be the case. Like we don't really, we can't really afford to bring in guys that are projects, right? Like we need ready-made CAA players from the day they step on campus basically. So, um, you know, I think the fine tuning part of it is something that I'm going to really enjoy. Like the mental game, you know, no, it, it, number one is something that I think is undertaught and is another area that you can see drastic strides in. Alex is a really good example of that. Um, that, that's certainly, uh, an area that I think I can make some strides in. And then also just like gameplay stuff too. Like, um, you know, if you look at the Dominican model and I know we talked a lot about the DR last time I was on, but like they're, they're down there developing prospects, right? Like they don't often play a lot of games, you know, as they're going through. And so when they get over to the States and start playing games, like they don't know when is a good time to try to go first to third or, you know, what what base do I need to throw to? And why am I throwing to the second base in this situation and letting a run score? Like, those are things I think that, that even division one players coming in, especially young guys still need to be taught and learn um, no matter how hard they throw or how, how, what their exit velocity is or how good their swing is, you know? So I think the, the gameplay piece and then the mental side of it are two areas where I think I can dig in pretty good. And I think the other stuff's going to be, honestly, is going to be a lot of confidence building because they already all have the tools and already have the skill set to be good. It's more of being a cheerleader and maybe helping them make a tweak here or a tweak there. But like, you know, I I don't necessarily see where I'm going to have to do. I'm going to have to coach them, but I don't think it's going to be wholesale changes in a lot of areas. Yeah, it's funny. It's finding, you know, I hear you say that. It's like finding, where can I find those advantages? And then just going back to the example you used of like throwing accuracy on the infield, right? Like how many yep. people even, you know, how how much does that get overlooked? And especially in the, the way today is it, when you look at kind of how we train, right? And as much as so much of this data is important and the information is important, like you said, your job isn't to have guys set career highs and, in, 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 you know, exit below and, 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 you know, velocity off the mound. You need to win games. Now, 
Yep. Throughout the process, if you have guys who throw harder and hit the ball harder, are you probably going to win more games? Yeah. I mean, I think you Definitely. can point to it and say, like, yeah, that's that's going to help. But, you know, a lot of how we train, I feel like, like you just said, we, we have kind of lost a little bit of the, the important stuff. Now, you see it in Major League Baseball a little bit more with some of the rule changes where, you know, stolen bases. You know, me and Trevor talk about you know, the, the best offenses are the guys who can – who can run and, and hit the ball out of the ballpark. But, um, you know, for, for me, I just kind of try and, and, and always think about uh, uh, how do I then take those guys that, that we're talking about, that the higher caliber player, and find those advantages? You know, is it, it you know, is it through inter-squatting? Is it through, you know, just looking at the kind of the information that I'm getting back on, on you know, in the cage, on the bullpen mount? Kind of for you, what's kind of your your favorite ways to go about this and look at, you know, a practice? Yeah, I think, I mean, so we don't have this right now at Delaware, but hopefully we get it eventually. But, you know, when we put the pitch aware system in last year at Arcadia and we had access to video, which is data, by the way, um, you know, we can. Yes, it is. We, yeah. <laughs> uh, in case people forget, um, we, you know, we you can really, you know, drill, like, it doesn't, like, it doesn't lie, you know, like you can, you can look on there and, and, and I was wrong. I, the one thing I noticed last year was like, there was a lot of times I was wrong, you know, where I'd see some, I thought I'd see something and, and I would catch myself and be like, all right, fine. Like, we'll go back and look at the, we'll go back and watch the video. And we, I'd go back and watch and be like, nope, like you did, you did X, Y, or Z, whatever it was the right way. And for, you know, whatever. But, you know, I think like using some of that to, you know, like I'll, I'll be coaching the catchers this year. So like, I'll be able to go back and watch every pitch we throw. We'll have a camera set up in center field and like, okay, where can we, what part of the strike zone is Brady much struggling to steal strikes in, you know, because I think that is a huge part of, of winning games too is, and it gets overlooked a little bit is like, it's just the kind of the, the strike stealers behind the plate and what part of those shadow zones are they good in and what part of those shadow zones are, are do they struggle you know, and I'll be able to kind of drill down a little bit more be, and then have more time to go back and work with them. Like at D3, it's like, okay, we inter-squatted Saturday and then we had one practice on Tuesday and it was like, you know, <laughs> you don't get a lot of time. Like I'll be able to come in the next day and, and pre-game or pre-inter-squad, we can work on some of these things right away and make it a point of emphasis. So that part I'm looking forward to. Um, you know, to be completely honest with you, I don't know what other data we – are going to collect or do collect. So I'm, I'm going to be learning a lot of this stuff as we go here a little bit as well. So I've been on the job five days in case the listeners are wondering. <laughs> so I'm still learning some things. <laughs> no, he's, he's not a complete con just coming on here talking about what he thinks he's going to do. What he, <laughs> yeah, he just yeah. started actually. Yeah. Um, and man's may originally... listen to this and just be like, yeah, we're not, we don't do any of that. So whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it'll stay between us and, and our listeners then if that's the case. We'll we'll, we'll make sure we button it up. You, you do a nice job of presenting it um, and definitely going to be um, come out good and, and everybody will appreciate that. But, you know, my, you talk about the time that you're able to spend with these guys. Um, that's probably the biggest difference between every level. I played D3, coached at D2, played a year at D2, coached at D3. Never experienced the D1, uh, but you can kind of get the gist when you're at a couple different levels that it, it's a big difference. At each level you go up, it's a pretty significant difference. A, where my head goes is how does the family feel about not having the fall free as much as they used to? And then B, I mean, 
how much does that excite you in general? I mean, I, I think a lot of my questions do pertain to how excited you are for this transition because I'm excited for you. Um, yeah. But I think that just knowing how much you love being on the field, knowing how much you love working with guys, seeing it in action every day, imagining getting three times that in the months where you were never getting it at any point except for the time you spent at Chestnut Hill. I mean, how much does that excite you? Yeah, and that was a big reason too for like, trying to make this deciding that I wanted to get to the division one level was like, I want, I like to be around. I love to be around the players, you know? And I felt like and and kudos to D three a little bit too, because they did expand some of the rules this year. So they do get to be, you know, they get eight more days in the fall and that'll help. And, um, but you know, yeah, family, the family's good. I mean, they, they kind of understand the situation here at this point. So, um, <laughs> thankfully I have a lot of support at home with Chelsea and, and Paige and Carson. So I'm lucky there, but, um, but yeah, I'm really excited about that because I think, again, going back to to the player development side, like you can make changes quicker, you know, and the quicker you can get better, the better chance we have to win games come February. So, um, you know, the fact that we can just be with them basically the entirety of the semester and, and Mams is good too. Like he wants them to get away from baseball a little bit, like in November and before winter break, you know, just to, as much as we can to, to, you know, you don't want to burn guys out either. So, um, you know, I think there'll be a good balance there of like, we're going to work hard for a couple months here in the fall, try to make some, some adjustments on an individual basis and, um, you know, set our team on a solid foundation heading into winter break so that we can come back in, in the spring semester ready to roll. But I, I'm looking forward to like, just be, first of all, the field's beautiful being out on, you don't have to drag, I don't have to drag the field anymore, water it, do any of that stuff. So being on a turf field and, and, uh, and just rolling right off after sounds pretty good. It happened at prospect camp the other day. I was like, well, that's kind of cool. Like we finished camp, put some stuff away and went back to the office. So I'm looking forward to getting those minutes of my life back, even though there's something therapeutic about working on a field, but mm-hmm. when it, uh, when it impacts your family time and things like that, it gets old after a while. But, um, anyway, no, I am looking forward to the amount of time I'll get to be around the players and, and hopefully help them get better. Uh, sticking on the theme of, of what you're excited for outside of, you know, maybe being able to offer a kid a scholarship that you weren't able to do at a division three level, what kind of excites you about the challenge of now going to, you know, a CAA program and having to recruit in that landscape? Obviously, as I mentioned before, you do get to rec- recruit to beautiful, you know, beautiful campus, great academics and, and really good athletic support, um, which is obviously a boost. Not saying you didn't have that at Arcadia, but it's a little bit of a different scale at Delaware. What's it, what are you excited about to on the recruiting side of things? Yeah, I mean, you touched on some of those things for sure. I'm definitely excited about all those things. Um, I quickly learned, and I told Mams this when he hired me. I'm like, man, I'm like, Mams, I haven't watched a 2025 play like all summer, basically, unless they were like playing against the 24 team I was watching. So I had to play some catch up. But I am excited for like the you know, the one class earlier kind of timeline, like right now we're kind of neck deep on 25s, just about done 24s. Like to be able to tell, I'm excited to be able to tell people like, Hey, we got our class and like, we were excited about it. And like at an Arcadia that Trev and I were doing five, six visits a day and like trying to bring it, <laughs> bringing in a ton of kids. Like I am, you know, I am, I am excited a little bit about it, like that change of pace of it. Um, you know, and just the, and, and honestly, like the ability to like, kind of like drill down on some guys and see them play five or six times before like making a decision on, okay, is this a kid we want to offer a scholarship to? Um, you know, I'm excited about, about doing it that way, you know, rather than kind of like the large and Goldie, I know you, Dan and Goldie, you got, you guys do a lot of that, did a lot of this too and do a good job of it. But like the, like the casting, the large net, um, you know, has its challenges. So 
I'm excited to be able to go after a little bit higher level player, be able to offer him scholarships, be able to get on him a little bit sooner and, and, and just hopefully go find some diamonds in the rough that can help us get to where we want to get to. So I'm going to put you on the spot here a little bit. Sell Delaware to Dan and I. I mean, I, I enrolled there. Um, for our listeners that don't know, um, we won't bring up what happened post-enrollment. Uh, but it's sell, sell the University of Delaware there. I know you probably haven't even gotten a campus tour, but but what's the, what's the sales pitch there to a potential 2025 recruit? Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, I mean, we're one of the premier state uh, state institutions on the East Coast, you know, and that's not just athletically, but academically as well. It's a really strong, um, you know, acad- the, the degree holds a lot of water. So, Trev, if you could have stayed there for your four years, you would have been <laughs> set up better. <laughs> but, um, you know, we have some really highly ranked academic programs, obviously, and and, uh, and that appeals to, to a lot of kids, which is good. And, you know, from an athletic side, I think, you know, the facilities are, are kind of speak for themselves. It's funny. So one of the things I did even today and, and then into tomorrow too a little bit is, is I contacted our 2024 commits and I kind of asked them the question like, all right, you know, I want to get to know you obviously, but like this will help me and kind of help me get to know you. Like tell me about your recruiting path and why you chose Delaware. And, you know, everybody almost to a guy, I think there's seven of them, um, you know, just like coach, as soon as I got on campus, like it's a beautiful campus. There's a lot to do. Um, you know, the baseball field's amazing. The coaching staff is high. It had a lot of energy and I felt a connection to right away. The weight room's off the charts. It's like all of these things that like, and essentially it sells itself in a lot of ways, you know, to the right kid. Um, you know, and I think that's going to be something that, that helps in going forward too. And, you know, certainly we want to be able to go up in recruiting battles against some big fish and win some of those battles. And, um, you know, Hopefully that gets a little bit easier as time goes on and we win more ball games. That always, that's kind of how it went at Arcadia. Once we started to win more, it opened up some more recruiting avenues for us. But I do think once you get a kid on campus at, at UD, it, it can sell itself in a lot of ways because of, of just how nice it is. I took my, my wife and my daughter there today for the first time um, and they were blown away. Like just, you know, up campus, how nice the buildings are, Main Street, how much there is to do, all the shopping you can do, the places you can eat, the fun you can have. Um, you know, and then obviously down at the athletic campus and everything that's going on there, just a ton of energy. So I don't know how well I sold it, but it's, uh, if you've never been energy. Yeah. You got to come out. I, we are, we are pro UD. I, I was told at our, uh, new point orientation, which is, which spells proud. So, proud. It took me yeah, a second, yeah, but yeah. I got there. Yeah, I got yeah, there. Yeah, I'm, yeah. On it. Yeah. I'm on it. Pro UD. So, I'll start throwing that around. Yeah. Fire it Go ahead. Go ahead. Dan's got a question here, but I got, I want to get in here before he does. Cause I don't want to lose this thought. Did you realize how quickly did you realize it's UD, not Dell? Yeah, please. Well, I, I'm still kind of learning that a little bit because the, like <laughs> it's my email, my it's email address is udell.edu, but I feel like Dell is like what the non-Delaware people say. All right. So it's Correct. UD. It's, it's UD. 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 Yes. It's All UD. Right. Don't, don't All run right. around saying Udell or else, you know, and it, if I was a recruit it, and you were in my living room, that'd be a deal breaker. <laughs> is it up campus or the, like the up campus? What's the deal there? People say up campus all the time. Uh, I think that that's maybe just past, on the athletic. Yeah. You don't learn that until your sophomore year. Yeah. yeah okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have the answer to that. Um, just real quick, I, I, I don't know if you can even speak to this yet or not, but, you know, 
Trevor and I at least have conversations off air about, you know, we think that that area that, that Delaware's in and especially the surrounding Pennsylvania, Jersey is so talented. What's some of the keys to, to keeping those guys in the area? Because I feel like you see a lot of them not end up at some of the schools you would expect like Delaware, Penn state. Sometimes they're all, you know, going down South and obviously weather's one thing, but a lot of the schools like Delaware have a ton to offer. What are some of the keys to keeping those guys kind of home? Yeah, I think, I mean, first thing is early identification. I think number one, like, you know, I was talking about 2025s, but I've even, you know, been at least making some notes on some 26s as well that like, we're going to know right away come next August 1st that we can, that we can contact. And when you, when you do that, I think starting to the, like going back to the beginning of the, of the show here, like talking about relationships, like I think building relationships like that with those guys that are local that, you know, are super talented and may have some, um, you know, may have some opportunities outside of, of Delaware or outside the region, so to speak, like maybe to, to go down South or things like that. If you can be one of the first ones to the table to kind of start developing that relationship, I think that's a big deal. Um, you know, and like I mentioned a few minutes ago, if we can continue to stack some good seasons on top of each other and become a little bit more of a destination where guys you know they can come in and win, um, get get guys drafted, you know, get them a shot to play in professional baseball. I think all those things start to add up and and uh, will make it an attract a more attractive option for those good, you know, for those high end players from the mid Atlantic region. Um, you know, we you got I'll, I won't mention his name, but we have one coming in this year that that you guys all know and. And, uh, you know, had some pretty high level opportunities and cho- and is a Delaware kid and chose to stay in Delaware because that's what he wants. His dad played there and and he was always wanted to be a blue hen. And I think there's going to be guys out there that are just like that, that that we can keep. And I know Delaware is a small state, but it's a talented state for baseball. And there's always going to be really good players coming out of Delaware that we can hopefully go attract and, and keep them home. Keep them in the 302. There you go. Spoken like a true <laughs> state school recruiting coordinator. Thank you. He's getting it. Yep. He's I did drop a subtle hint this week that I brought my coffee mug in with my Ryan Blaney sticker on the side of it. So, um, I took Casey knows Casey Kalina. We talked about it a little bit. Um, but I don't think Mams knows quite yet. That might've been a deal breaker. I tried to keep that from him as long as I could, but. And, and then the, the last thing again, I'm going to keep it on the personal side since Trev does. Does Mams know that you call in every Monday morning to WIP to, to complain about <laughs> Nick Sirianni? Is he okay with that? or? <laughs> First of all, that is Just... not true. But I, I do have a I I do have a much longer commute to the office now, so I might have some Monday mornings where I can I can get on and wait on hold and, and see what's going on. First of all, I love Sirianni, so I would uh, I don't think there's going to be too much to complain about. He's a culture builder himself, so he's he's actually a guy that I've uh, I've tried to like learn some things from just watching him and reading stuff about him. But anyway, I uh, yeah I haven't called WIP in a couple years. <laughs> That's a good thing. Uh, that, yeah. To me, that's a positive. That's, a, yep. that's definitely not a knock. Uh, yeah. That that drive that you're running right now, um, I know all too well. I expect plenty of pictures every time you get stuck in traffic 
at <laughs> any point in that juncture, I know just one thing you're going to think of, man, I remember when TP had to do this enough times to make him want to scream. Cause yeah. it, it, it's nice. It's not bad when there's no traffic. You said 55 minutes as long yeah. as there's no traffic, but the second you get caught up in some messiness, it's, it's a pain yeah. in the rear. It is. Oh. I just got to embrace it. I just look at it as like a test. You know, it's like, oh, <laughs> yeah. I'm just getting tested right now. Don't fold type of thing. Lot, so lots of podcasts, lot of lots of backside yep. ground balls, podcasts. Yep. Yep. We appreciate so, it. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. That's going to go on the social channels. Um, I'm going to leave you with uh, with my best that I brought up the NASCAR thing. I know I've told this story on air. I don't know if I've ever told this story to you. Um, but I'm going to leave you with my assistant coach lesson that I give to anybody who has any questions when they're working for a head coach. I tell the story. We were early in the winter. Uh, we were about two weeks in, and I felt like me and you were seeing about 11 to 12 hours of each other on a day-to-day basis. Came in on a Sunday. Practice was already planned on both of our ends, and I really felt like our conversations had gotten stale, and it was the same old, same old, and I felt like you might have been frustrated with me. I don't know what it was. I think we were just spending I so doubt much that, time. But... <laughs> and I remember walking into the office and saying, you know what? I'm going to ask him about NASCAR, and we spent two hours free practice talking about NASCAR. And my level of interest going into that conversation is not what I left with it, but I was just focused on, I just got to get this guy to loosen up with me again and start to enjoy my presence. So I went to the NASCAR thing. So you got to find out what Mams's thing is to to go to when the well is dry. Definitely. Uh, Yeah, I don't know what that is yet. I'm going to have to find it out. But yes, Watkins Glen this weekend, Daytona next weekend. Make sure you tune it in. It's going to be some last two races before the playoffs. So some guys are going to have to take some risks. (laughs) <laughs> Listen, I, I, I know I've been retired for a little bit now, but when I feel like when I left you, you were a, Ch- a Chase Elliott fan. Did I hear you have a sticker of a different driver <laughs> now? Did you change allegiances? <laughs> well, long story, but my, my so a friend of mine, uh, Drew Taylor, who used to be the SID at Arcadia when Trev was there too, he uh, he works in the, in the industry in NASCAR, which is how I got into it. So he uh, anyway, he started for a, a low-level like truck team. And, uh, and now he works for Team Penske, which, and he's the PR rep for Ryan Blaney and Joey Logano. So I'm kind of more of a Drew fan. Drew was a Chase fan. He's the one that got me hooked, and that's how I was a Chase fan originally. He probably doesn't want that getting out on air, but whatever. Um, and so, but, but now I'm all in on Blaney. Plus, he does wear number 12, which was, or not wear, he drives the 12 car, and I've always worn number 12. We'll see if I'm going to be doing that. I don't think I'll be doing that. I think that's Carter Welch. So that'll, that won't be me this spring, but that's fine. But anyway, so the, the number of affinities there too. So yeah, there's a little, been a little shakeup. Fair enough. Well, there, yep. there you go. Dan, any last questions before we, before we let Tor get out of here? No, this has been a blast. I'm happy I was here this time. And I, I truly, uh, in, in all, in all honesty, I'm super excited that you're at the university of Delaware for real. Thank I mean, you. I, you know, as, as a native, someone that, you know, I've always, you know, been, maybe quietly been pulling for UD, but because it's nice to see, you know, to see that, that program do well. And the fact that someone like you is there makes me extremely excited and I can't wait to see what you guys continue to build. Thank you very much. That means a lot. And, uh, you know, I know there's a lot of proud first staters out there, so we're going to try to give it back to them <laughs> and, uh, with a lot of wins, hopefully. Appreciate it. <laughs> yep. Tor, any, any closing thoughts before we, before we get out of here? Uh, 
no, I just really appreciate you guys having me on. It's on a personal level. It's always good to catch up. I, uh, I yes. love listening to the podcast and, uh, you know, your guys, you guys keep my knowledge of minor leaguers and data <laughs> analytics and all sorts of things kind of, uh, on the forefront. So I could use some help with the immaculate grid, but other than that, I, uh, you guys are, been, are, are fun to listen to. So I appreciate you having me on. Yeah, well, well, of course. And, and I know Dan's the immaculate grid guy, so you might need to take some pointers from him. He is, uh, he is a ball of information when it comes to that, but obviously I'm going to kind of express the sentiment. I'm not just Delaware. I'm happy for you. Um, I know Thank how you. important, you know, the, the, the progress has been for you. I mean, I'm super proud of you. I know that's weird coming from somebody who worked for you, but I know how uh, much it means that. to you. I know how successful you're going to be. And there's nobody who I expect to, to kill it there in that position and, and make that program a lot better than you. And, and I know, cause I've been there, I've seen you do it and I know what you're capable of. And I, I can only imagine that everybody who follows Delaware baseball is going to know very soon what, what you can bring to them. Thanks, brother. I appreciate that. You might get the first tears on the backside ground balls podcast here. So, <laughs> wow. so thank you. That means that means a lot. Of course. I mean, so. it, it, again, on both ends, there you meant you meant a lot to me. And even though it was one year, it's it's been it was a great year. Built that relationship, and and life wise, the amount of things I've learned from you is is definitely on top of just the baseball thing. So super yeah. proud of you. Super excited to see what the hens do in, in next year and beyond. And we'll see you in Bowie's Creek in February. Yes, yeah, we will. Can't wait. We will. I, think it's, wait. I think it's February. It might be first weekend of March, but either way, CAA opener. So we'll, we'll be see you. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. We're gonna we're gonna be there, um, and and we'll be getting getting you over for a nice Italian cooked meal downhill in North Carolina. Uh, so good. But, Thank you to our listeners uh, for tuning in as that will conclude our episode for today. Make sure you're subscribing to the podcast on all podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere you find your podcast. We post episodes every Monday and Thursday, always hitting your feed at 7 a.m. sharp. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at BacksideGB, Instagram at BacksideGroundBalls, and TikTok at BacksideGroundBall. And most importantly, make sure you're sharing with five friends, and we'll see you next time on the Backside Ground Balls podcast. We are super excited to announce that we are now partnering with Routine Baseball. Routine Baseball offers the best athletic leisure options going. We're talking shirts, hoodies, shorts, sunglasses, and any baseball style you could ask for. Perfect for all your events and activities this summer. You headed to a game, throw on a nice routine tee and a hat. How about a cookout? Throw on some routine shorts and sunglasses. You'll be super comfortable, no sweat, perfect fit. I just got fitted in my routine stuff, and it's all I want to wear, and it's all I will be wearing this summer. And you can too. All you have to do is go to routine.com backslash backside ground ball and check out all the different options they have. And you can receive 10% off your offer today. Again, all you got to do is go to routine.com backslash backside ground ball and get 10% off your order today. Great news. Major League Baseball is back. The college baseball season continues to electrify. And with the help of our friends over at SeatGeek, we can get you out to whatever game you want to see. All you need to do is head over to SeatGeek, find your game you want to go to, and enter promo code BACKSIDEGROUNDBALL to get $20 off your first purchase. Maybe you want to go see some NBA or NHL playoffs. 
I don't know, maybe you want to go to a concert with the weather warming up throughout the country. No matter what event you're looking to go to, our friends at SeatGeek can hook you up with the best deals. Great seats at an affordable price. You can't beat it. Make sure to enter promo code BACKSIDEGROUNDBALL for $20 off. That's SeatGeek.com, promo code BACKSIDEGROUNDBALL.